Hey folks, today I've got an interview for you uh, with me and Nicole Bosky, who's the founder of Primal Gatherings. Uh, she's a community organizer that I met at the recent Micro Solidarity Gathering in Belgium earlier this year. Um, we had a really good conversation about what it's like to organize a festival-based community. And um, since our conversation, she has launched the ticket sales for their upcoming gathering um, in November. And she's also published a handbook with some of her thinking about how community organizing works. So I will include links to those things in the show notes. So check that out. And yeah, enjoy our conversation with me and Nicole. Welcome back, friends. I'm here with Nicole Bosky, who's the founder of Primal Gatherings. And today we're going to talk about what she's learned about being an organizer and see, yeah, see if we've got any useful knowledge to exchange with each other. So welcome, Nicole. How are you? I'm good. I um, appreciated that moment of grounding that yeah. we just shared. Yeah. So um, can you give us like a little context? What is Primal Gatherings? Where does it come from? What, what's your role? That sort of thing. Yeah, sure. Um, so Primal Gathering essentially is a regenerative gathering. It's um, a context and a space for kind of cultural transformation, so to speak. The idea is if we bring people together to learn and equip themselves with tools to regenerate themselves, it will support their relationships and as a consequence also reverberate into the natural world. Um, and that's essentially what it is. And practically, so, like, how frequently, how many people, where is it, how long, that sort of stuff? Okay. So it's so far it's been annually in Portugal. It started off being twice a year, kind of seasonally, once in summer, focused more on, like, natural building elements, and then once in, like, the fall, focused on, like, reforestation or agroforestry elements. Um, it's now kind of shifting and merging and evolving into something that is now traveling into different spheres and countries in the world, which is quite exciting. Um, and generally it's between 70 to like a hundred, hundred people. The most we've ever had is about 150 people, but yeah, we tend to keep them intentionally quite intimate and small to cultivate like a core sense of community over time. Um, can you tell me more about that? Like what I've got in mind is um, some friends that are organizing a gathering in the States and they have obviously like in marketing terms, they, they found product market fit. Like there's tons of people that want to come and they value the intimacy of a small group. And now they're really struggling with how do you manage, like kind of how do you be exclusive without being exclusionary or, you know, how do you, yeah. How do you manage that intimacy and scale question? So it sounds like there were like a few questions there. Uh -huh. like I also heard like the question around like exclusivity and accessibility as well as intimacy. So can I separate them out? Okay. So the question around intimacy. So for us, it's really been around like the landowner, right? So uh -huh. we work with the landowner and trying to understand what their needs are before building like an educational program around their needs that also fosters our participants like desire and hunger to learn. Um, and a landowner will have only so much, let's say, indoor space for, let's say, a reforestation gathering that happens in November, which is winter and it's cold. So we have like the actual constraints of the cold and the, the space that people can actually sleep in versus also 
being able to start and end everything together. So that's, I think, what differentiates us from like most gatherings or retreats, et cetera, is that we don't do multiple things simultaneously. We really want to start and end together and coexist in all the spaces together. Mm -hmm. So naturally you have constraints. If you want to have a 10,000 person gathering and everyone was starting and ending together, you'd have to like have a phenomenally huge space and there'd be a lot of infrastructure and a lot of investment around that. Um, Also the attentiveness, right? It's really important for us that we create contexts and spaces where people really feel seen, felt, and, and heard. And that becomes more challenging, as you know, with like the pod uh, element to microsolidarity when the space enlargens over time, right? So that's kind of like two main components. And maybe the final component is also the project. So we have like an achievable project. So we say, mm. okay, we're doing this for four days. What's the project that we can start and ensure that we end within those four days? And then how many people do we need to support that project to finish into its flourishing? And that's kind of how we navigate those. Yeah, right. So it sounds like the scale is limited for very practical. It's like very easy to explain to people like we're doing this, we've got this much space, this is the objective. And it's not like a kind of abstract thing like, oh, we're trying to preserve the vibe so you can't come. (laughs) <laughs> it seems like an easier argument to make um i yeah i mean yes and no like i think practically yes the practical constraints are definitely a big factor but also if i were to like imagine this and like it's biggest i would rather it be you know 10 different locations at like 100 mm. 200 people maximum versus it being one gathering of like 10,000 people you know um i just think that there's an element of there's only so many people that you can really meet at in a deep and meaningful way with only so much time, right, that you can foster and create in these contexts and spaces. And when it starts to be, I don't know, let's say like 300 plus, there's that, there are a lot of other added like tangible elements that come into like a sense of like isolation, less Mm -hmm. familiarity, starts to feel like a party rather than an actual sense of communion um, and community. Mm -hmm. At least this is my personal interpretation. Um, We're on the same boat. So where are you at then like i call it cell division right like where you you like you've reached a certain size and so you split into two things um have you have you had to do that yet or are you in the process of doing that like where you at on that cell division in terms of like the the scale of how it's gotten um so we are now moving towards like more seasonal gatherings right so we start we started that way and then we kind of covid happened and everything Mm. shifted and changed now we're moving back into that and we're also moving to more like retreat size elements right so like we're being approached let's say like by businesses or other gathering models and say like hey we would love to like incorporate your principles um and so we then work with in the confines of those um relationships so to speak so yeah we're doing like a gathering for like 22 people like next june doing a gathering for like 13 people next March, like it, it, it really is dependent, but usually it's defined by the season, so to mm. speak. Yeah. And, and is it, is it currently operating in a way where you have to personally be in the middle of all of those, or is there a like distributed leadership system where you've got lots of people who are equipped? That's a great question. Um, so at the moment I would say we're going, we are moving through a shift at the moment, I would say internally. I think predominantly for the last like few years, it's been mainly, I'd say, me kind of leading on the main elements. And now we're kind of systematizing our process 
to support other leaders potentially in other locations of the world to uh, take leadership and do a primal gathering locally. Also just because it makes sense in the sense that like if you want to regenerate like a land, let's say in New Zealand or in Brazil, someone who's local to the region who has like a, a familiarity with the land, with its needs, with the people, the artisans, the, you know, the local food produce will be more knowledgeable to support that gathering than someone, you know, based it between Lisbon and London, for right. example. Um, but at the moment, yeah, like all the, like the B2B things, for example, I'm definitely on, on top of that, but the idea is to systematize it support local, uh, versions of the gathering. So I can imagine systematizing lots of pieces, like all of the pragmatic stuff about what the event looks like, but the, the roadblock that I'm always coming up against in my own community building work is like, what about the subtle intangible stuff that makes me, that gives me confidence that this person is going to host a thing and, and reach my imaginary standards of quality, which are impossibly high. Um, like, <laughs> how do you, yeah, how are you feeling about that challenge? Like, do, do you have people that you've, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> I mean, like, as you say that, like, I noticed so many different feelings. <laughs> um, I mean, it's the culture piece is what you're talking about, right? There's like this intangible culture that one has to almost like live and experience in order to be able to then kind of replicate it right so to speak ideally um and i think our philosophy has always been that you know being human is a practice and there are a lot of different like values that we come together to learn and try to embody and then we also hold compassion for where we're at and where we're going and so that's a piece of like we there's like a methodology that been working on for the last few years called community as a practice if you want i can i can share it with you um and it's it's kind of like our buckets that we like aim to support and and fill and by filling those buckets hopefully um the, the culture will sustain and move and gravitate to you know other spaces and places but noticing it like internally within our team i noticed that like our team is we're practicing it weekly, right? Like we come in, we show up fully, we check in, we're very vulnerable, very honest. Um, there's a real element of like strong on like honesty, compassion, very people getting internally clear about their vision. Integrity is a huge piece within our organization so much so that I think sometimes we like overly scrutinize our like elements you're like zero waste but how zero waste you know there was like a piece of plastic like you know but it's it's just being kind of it's learning um and holding space for it to be consistently seen as a seen as a practice if if you want I can like run through a little bit like the the model to give maybe that might support and sure Okay, so I'll share. I actually have it like on the screen. (laughs) Okay, so the reason I created this essentially was to kind of bring like the tangible or like the intangible into like tangible concrete Mm -hmm. buckets to support anyone in the future to be to be able to maybe foster the elements that we basically bring into each of our gatherings. And the idea also behind Primal Gathering is that it's not that we're only creating context and spaces to support other people to embody these values. Us as a team are also daily trying to embody these values. So because we believe that real leadership is embodied leadership. It's not vocalized or taught or explained. It's really through witnessing 
you know, you get really inspired. You watch a great like yoga teacher and the way that he is uh, within within himself and how he holds himself, even if he doesn't express many words, is what, you know, inspires you and wants to practice and maybe even copy the way that he, you know, does his yoga, whatever, asanas or breathwork, et cetera. So our belief is that like building a community is similar to like building a home. Mm. The stronger the foundation, the less likely it'll be like swept away in a natural disaster. And the foundation essentially is honesty. And that can be broken down into like several pieces. But the foundation itself is honesty. First, being really able to be honest with yourself, which I think actually is probably like the hardest part. Um, because sometimes we like to have really lovely ideas of ourselves and not really be honest about like our true motivations. Um, am I really have, you know, am I really wanting or addressing something because it's what I actually want? Or is there an element of status or, you know, there are all these kind of complexities, um, compassion, because when you're really honest with yourself, you then need to like have like the soothing bomb to support, you know, what might feel ugly or icky or messy, uh, and then once you have that, you have the ability to craft like a very key vision that is clear and one that is like really true to what you are needing for yourself first. And then what you want to then attribute to your community or your context or your environment. Um, and then the second layer is integrity, which can also be broken down into integrity, which means doing as I say and saying as I doing, which sounds really easy in premise, but actually it's quite challenging. Often, I know that you guys are like great at that, especially within micro solidarity, commitment and consistency, right? Like that, again, like people wrestle with that all the time. It's like, okay, so I have this integrity piece and then I've made this commitment, but am I, can I uphold those commitments with consistency, which then equals out to discipline, right? And discipline is really important because once you have that discipline, you can know what you can give and know what you can't give, which supports your ability to be of service, which is like the third layer. So service is uh, the broken down into like self-initiation, which basically means if someone's saying, hey, I need some help with X, Y, Z, the other person who then self-initiates and say, hey, I'd love to help, knows that they're they're doing that and they're giving that from a place of like fullness to, to share, not because they need validation or attention or they want like they wanted to do this other thing, but now someone's asked for help. And um, OK, I mean, I, I might as well, which builds like resentment over time. And then finally, basically, which like once those buckets are kind of cultivated or fed leads to like a sense of service, giving from a place of fullness, not expecting absolutely anything back, which then fosters into like a place essentially of love, which is ironic because you might think love would be like the initial like piece of this puzzle, so to speak. But actually it's, I mean, like the fullness, like the true wholesome love that we're able to give and be in of service comes from actually filling up those buckets to support us in building relationship with ourselves first and foremost. And so that we can build with relationship with others. And then as a consequence, really share that love with, you know, our environment or like our natural world, so to speak. This is really great. It, it, it strikes me like it's a kind of ethical framework, you know, it's like you, you framed it as um, building community but it's it's also building character it's like how to how to grow up and be a decent human so it sounds like you know like this was prompted by my question like how do you feel about you know distributing leadership and enrolling people and how do you trust people to do a good job of preserving the vibe and stuff and it sounds like 
if they are committed to this personal development and this pursuit of good character uh, and they're active in that process of doing that together, then you can trust them. Did I get that? Yeah, I think you said that really eloquently. Yeah, that's that's absolutely is. It's a commitment to growth um, and a commitment to also be able to hold that container in space for others is like congruent with your ability to hold that container in space for for yourself. And that's Mm. kind of what primal gathering is essentially is creating spaces and context for us to like work on our inner so that we can support outer and external transfer transformation. Right. Mm. Uh, I feel like I haven't quite grasped that before that something at least in, in, in spiral, we were always like trying to, um, yeah, enroll people to have more commitment and to take on more leadership one of the um, implicit kind of tests that I've used with new people is like, I need to see how you recover after you messed up. And then, then I know if I can trust you or not, because if like, if you've, if you've like failed to deliver on your commitments or you just like made some bad calls, you had some bad discernment or, you know, like you disappeared for a while. It's like, how did you, how did you recover from that situation? And if you did it with integrity and you're accountable and, you know, it wasn't a drama, but it's just like, yeah, I messed that up and how can I make it right? And then I, then I can kind of trust you. And I know that there'll be more mistakes in the future because they always are and that we all make mistakes all the time. Mm. Um, but if I trust that you're not going to hide from that, then, then I'm good with like, yeah, encouraging you to take more responsibility and like delegating power out towards you and so on. Do you feel like, um, can, can that, I ask yeah, you go, can go. on that? Like, okay. So, yeah, that was in the context and lens of Inspiral. And I, my assumption is that people who enter into Inspiral already have that internal kind of commitment, right? Towards some sort of like growth or community evolution. To an, to an extent. I mean, Inspiral is pretty chaotic and divergent. So people show up in quite different. Um, yeah, like they, they, they have different. Hmm, how do I say? Different starting points. Um, and, and I'm just describing my version of reality and it's a, it's a kind of environment where there's like quite a few different versions of reality operating simultaneously. (laughs) So I'm like one voice in the mix of of them all. So, um, yeah, it's not like, it's not like there's some kind of difficult test to, to, that you have to, some threshold that you have to cross to come in, you know, it's like people come in in lots of different ways with lots of different, different contexts. So yeah, I, with, um, part of what I'm doing with microsolidarity is like trying to learn the lessons from Inspiral and bake them into a bit of a roadmap so that when people start something from scratch, they get some of the, they get some of our lessons for free without having to learn them the hard way. Mm. Um, and so that, that includes this kind of thing. Like, Hey, if you're going to join, uh, yeah, you should be up for some kind of developmental process, which means mutual disclosure. And like you were saying about, integrity and honesty like that honesty being the first piece i totally get that like you're going to have to be real about who you actually are what you're actually like and you don't have to hide like it's fine that you have these shadow elements or these behaviors that you wish you didn't have or like these parts of your character that you're not really satisfied with we can hold that together and with the honesty and the compassion that you mentioned then the growth happens you know like it kind of um we relax and unwind and become more mature versions of ourselves i believe um but I'm saying that now kind of 10 years into the game and uh, I want to see what happens when we put that on the front page, you know, that people know this is, 
Because I don't know, I, I still have a little cringe about it. It's still a little bit cringy to say like this whole idea of development and that there's there's like, you know, good and shiny people and then there's bad and unconscious people. And, you know, all of that sort of dynamic is pretty, it's pretty fraught. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I have to, I have to agree with that. I think, you know, messiness, like the culture of allowing of messiness is so important. And I think it's something that I think like, especially in the society that we are in, right. It's like, we're kind of so afraid of being ourselves because we're so afraid of being abandoned and extra excommunicated from society, from our communities, et cetera. So then we are kind of, you know, masquerading as a consequence and that masquerading actually leads to a lot of harm and, and, and pain, which then, you know, is externalized and violence and, you know, aggression. And it's, it's just a lot of pain. Right. And if we can create, you know, those, those elements and spaces where there's a tolerance as well, just like a genuine tolerance for like the messiness of life, the insecurities, like all the things, then we can like relax more, um, in each other's presence and that supports i believe you know the healing which is you know amazing like the uh, what i experienced at micro solidarity retreat with the social fabric it's, it's like that's it right creating tolerance for the messiness that is is life the brokenness of it too yeah and at least in my point of view you can't really do it alone you know like you have to do it yourself you have to take responsibility and do it yourself but you need well i need anyway i certainly need to have that social uh, I don't know what to call it, like the reflection coming back from others that's kind of reminding me because there's going to be moments where I'm like not at my best and then there's other moments and I need the reminders of people who are like more awake in that moment and then there's going to be other times where like I'm really grounded and with it and present and I've got lots of resourcing and capacity and someone else doesn't and I can, yeah, go and support them in a gentle and encouraging way. Um, but yeah, that's that really gets to the to the core for me. So uh, one thing that I'd love to hear from you is, well, let me give you a little bit of context. Because I've been doing community building and facilitation and that sort of stuff for a long time, now whenever I go to other people's events, I'm like super opinionated and I'm always like, ah, why don't you do this, you know? And um, (laughs) Which is partly because I know some good stuff and partly because I'm like super, you know, elitist and I think my way is the best. So it's it's a blessing and a curse. But... um, I'm sure from doing your own events, you've also got some of that um, sensitivity to like the positive frame, I think is like, what do you think is awesome about Primal Gathering that other people should know about? Like that, like when, when you go to other events, like what's the thing that you're missing? That's like, ah, we do this because it's so crucial. And how come you, what, what, <laughs> how come everyone doesn't know about this? Like, what are your superpowers as a, as a event? I love that. It's so true. It's so, so, so true. It's like, I can't walk into a conference anymore without just getting so agitated because I feel like there's like zero human conceptualization in like the organization of of a conference. It's just crazy. All your energy is drained. Um, Okay, cool. Great question. So I think think the philosophy of how we hold the gathering is quite unique. Um, there is a man called Alan Savory. Are you familiar with him? Mm-hmm. Um, he's like the Zimbabwean scientist who conceptualized the premise of like holistic management, which is kind of different to our traditional like, goal oriented approach. So traditionally in gatherings or any context, really, we have a goal and we stop at nothing until that goal is 
achieved, regardless of its environmental, physical, or emotional like impact, which has led, you know, to many of the demise and like just culture in general. Um, and his philosophies around holistic management is where, where you look at nature and that indicates where things are actually at. So like, what's the current energy flow? What are the actual community dynamics? How are the strawberries feeling in, in the garden? Do they need a little bit of water? And how will that inform the potatoes maybe that are growing next to it? And I think often in gatherings, people don't really consider like, how, can people actually retain the information that is being mm. shared? Mm. It's approached with a very rational look at things. Okay, on day one, we need to inform everyone of X. On day two, we need to do this. On day three, we're going to supercharge people with information overload without really thinking about what each person really like human really like needs and where their energy is at and which points of the day. So we essentially create our model is based on like the natural energy flow and also taking into consideration that people are multifaceted and they have, they need to have their basic needs met. And often, even though we could argue that everyone is self-responsible and should be able to attend to all their individual needs, actually having a container that supports that is really um, helpful. Hmm. So the way that that kind of works is, um, you have self-care element, which is like a moment to center oneself, which is supported with, let's say, a mindfulness practice, a moment of movement, because movement is really important. So an element of embodiment and then wholesome nutrition or nourishment, right? So feeding yourself properly, which one could argue are like the foundations of general positive internal energy. The second is relationship to other. Again, you could assume that everyone has the skills to communicate to other people, but as you really know well, how to communicate is a challenge in itself. And also creating the right conditions for permission to communicate desires and feelings is really important for element of safety. And then a group project. Mm -hmm. So having a group project nurtures a culture of belonging because it's formed through a shared common goal. And I used to organize like hackathons. And then I realized after I burnt out doing that, that actually wasn't necessarily about the hackathon that I really enjoyed. It was the bringing together of people over a shared and common goal. It could be cooking a meal. It could be planting a garden. It could be painting a wall. It doesn't really matter. It's just that we are working together. And the final element is expression. So being surrounded by art, being around music, dancing, um, just an element where someone can express themselves creatively, creatively. So those are the kind of like buckets mm -hmm. um, and it's done. I have like a little thing here. Um, and by filling a little bit of each bucket each day, all the elements of a person is kind of covered. And instead of feeling drained at the end of the day, people actually have a lot more energy. Mm. so to speak and i think yeah. that's what we do quite differently from most other gatherings or retreats that i've attended yeah totally um a couple of things are pinging for me one is like this thing about the group project i've really been noticing that lately at events how you know there's different pathways into that feeling of belonging and um one that's been so obvious to me lately is contribution like when people know what my contribution is then i feel like i belong it's like I know what my contribution is and it's been acknowledged and recognized by others. Like 
oh, you're the one who bakes the bread or whatever, you know, this is your, this is your mm. thing. And so then there's that kind of, yeah, that sense of recognition in place and like, okay, something relaxes in me. I'm not anxious and like, oh, am I going to be alone or am I going to make friends? It's like, no, obviously I've got a part to play here. Um, what I want to know more about, I guess, is like you said about the opening and closing happens all together. You know, you want synchronized people coming in and leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know exactly what the question is, but as you're describing these like five different buckets, it's like, are you really synchronizing people to go through these five different energies or um, is it more like this uh, possibilities for people to get nourished in all those different ways? And there's like kind of divergent parallel tracks of people going in lots of different ways and just getting their needs met. Like how much, um, how much divergence do you hold versus synchronizing everyone and getting them in lockstep? Mm. So we always caveat that, you know, the idea is to be part of the process from beginning to end. But of course, everyone's self-responsible in the sense that if they don't feel like waking up at 6.30 in the morning or 7 to do yoga, like, okay, that's, you know, they're, they're prerogative. But those who do kind of commit to, to the process do feel like a benefit out of it mm-hmm. and we do integrate an element of spaciousness in everything that we do so that there's periods for rest. So like tree planting, right? If you have like three hours dedicated tree planting, you're not going to be tree planting the whole time. You're going to be talking. Mm-hmm. You're going to have like a rest at the water stand, like drink. There are like different ways of emerging uh, or like responding to each of those those sections, mm-hmm. but yes, I would say that the magic to our gatherings is the commitment to the process and the honoring of the structure and the schedule. So I, I know that this is it's a bit funny because I was kind of coming late to the all the micro solidarity um, like elements when I participated in your retreat. I think there was like a l- little inner rebel. Um, happening or moving in that in that time but um for us it's really important like like breakfast lunch and dinner always without a fail always at the same time because that structure creates safety and when people know what's coming then they feel free much more freedom to like relax into that structure um so that's also really really important yeah i'm really um a big fan of using rhythm having that dependable you know what's coming next thing that's my favorite structure to use because it usually there's ways to do it where it doesn't feel authoritarian and it just feels supportive um but when you don't have the rhythm when everything's like what oh i don't know where i am from one minute to the next like i I just never settle in when that's happening Mm -hmm. um you mentioned rebelling against the schedule i want to know more about like my experience has been any time i take on some kind of leadership role in a community or an event or something I I have to deal with people's rebellion and, you know, sometimes I do that gracefully and sometimes I don't. Um, yeah. I wonder, I wonder what's your experience of like being a founder, you know, like having, having status and, you know, like in, in the case of a schedule is a, t- a trivial example, but like you're trying to create a supportive structure, but some people are going to take it as like an imposition or uh, p- people's daddy issues and mummy issues are going to come up and that like, What's it like for you being a founder? What's it like having having this extra, you know, this like distinct role in the group? Okay, so can I ask a clarifying question? So first you were asking about like rebellion. Um, and I'm wondering if that's in the context of the gathering or in the context of like leadership in the team. 
Mm. So why don't we start with the gathering? It might be simpler. Or it's like probably even more obvious because it's like in the team, you've got more sense of co-ownership, but in the gathering, it's like host and guest is pretty obvious. Okay, cool. Uh, hmm, I'm thinking if I can give an example. So, okay. So, um, so I remember when we were putting down like the, the schedule initially and we put down or like my feeling at the time was, okay, let's do like an hour, 10 lunch, something like that. And there was like a little bit of like dialogue or like debate about how long that should be. And then we like the gathering had started and we we're doing the tree plantings and it was time, you know, lunch had, had ended and we rang a bell and we're like, right, it's time to go tree plant. And nobody moved. And I was like, hmm, interesting information. And I internalized, I took a moment, you know, there was like the element of control where I was like, okay, but if this doesn't happen and then that goes late and then that goes late, then the music goes late and then the cook, and you know, like as, yeah. as an organizer does, when you have the whole overview of the whole picture, people don't realize that that extra 15 minutes or like 20 minutes has any impact on the rest of the day, right? And I think that's why it's also important to have an element of adapt adaptability when you check in with like, Alan Savory says around the holistic management, like what's actually happening in the moment. What had been clear is that it was a pretty full on, you know, pretty full on morning, good dance, really lovely ceremony. People had been planting for a few hours, just needed a break. So how could we shift potentially like a thing in the afternoon to support the desire and the need for spaciousness um, as opposed to, the lens of people rebelling and they're not following the rules and this feels really agitating and I want to control the whole environment. Um, and I think that's how we adjusted with that. And then we ensured that like the next meal times were all an hour and a half, like at the minimum. And I think another element is just starting to move things. So there are other ways of signaling that things are moving without actually necessarily expressing them. Yeah. We have like a nice little bell, which is really supportive and it's very like sweet and gentle. We're like, it's time to start. It's time to start. Um, but another thing that we do is we use space quite well. So we have like a space for like the entertainment, a space for the tree planting, a space for meal times. So when the next activity is happening, people just shift and move into that next space. Mm -hmm. And people feel like, oh, the energy has left where I am. So where is everybody? And those who want to come will come. And those who need to take their space, of course, take your space. If you need to have moments alone, please have those moments alone. But we won't let, um, like, we won't hold up a gathering for, like, 45 minutes because two people won't come to the tree planting, right? We, we will keep on, keep on schedule. Does that answer your question? Um, partially. Like, I get the thing of... Um, you know, pay attention when, when, when there's, when there's like disobedience, you know, that it's actually usually expressing a need and that whatever you've designed is not accurately meeting the needs that people have. And so you can pay attention to your own response. I can pay attention to my own response, the need to control things and be like, but there's a plan and it's there for a reason. And, you know, you're, you're being rebellious and disobedient. Um, I get that. And that's certainly, well, the easy, the easy answer I have for that is like, working in a team so that when I'm getting uptight and controlling, I can just kind of tag out and one of my colleagues will react more gracefully. Um, 
but I'm still holding on to the sense that sometimes there is maybe you don't experience it. It could be a it could be a gender thing as well. But um, sometimes I feel like I get rebellion purely from exercising any kind of authority, and it's not because of the content. It's not because someone's got a disagreement about the strategy for how we're managing our time. It's because they want to have a workshop about authority, and I happen to be the one today that's deciding on the agenda, and that like that stuff comes up, and I just find that really fraught and difficult to deal with. Yeah. Okay. So that, that, that's more clear. And it's something did like does come to mind for that. Um, so in terms of the tag team, I definitely uh, agree with that approach. There are some moments where I might trigger something in, in someone else and they like just need to put like a blocker and that might stifle things. And I then realize, okay, maybe I'm not the best person to have this conversation and maybe Helena, for example, or Bea would be able to support or, or hear this person in the way that they don't feel necessarily heard by, by me. And that has happened, you know, in terms of like knowing who has what qualities that support best in which moment. And I remember there was a moment where we had like our guardianship, which is like the people who could basically come and volunteer. It's a really important role in their gathering. And this kind of concept of rebelling, sometimes the volunteers, it can be, they can maybe not turn up to a shift or like, or like they maybe don't um, do a hundred percent as like, as one would ideally like. And I remember um, what, the way that that was moved through was just our lead primal guardian woman. She essentially just expressed how challenging it was for her to like ask for that support. And she was mm. very vulnerable mm. in front of all the guardians. And she cried a little bit and the guardians all just felt her so enormously and felt that need of the support and care that things shifted <laughs> pretty much instantly so mm-hmm. i don't know if that answers your question but i think knowing who is best in what circumstance to deal with whatever reaction and also an element of just being vulnerable like hey you know this is really i'm trying to keep the show on the road this i really need your support and it's making me feel like this and people seeing that like seeing where that actual like frustration and pain might actually come yeah from. yeah that um vulnerability and leadership has been it's just like one of these lessons I keep getting smacked in the face with from different angles um and sometimes I'm there and sometimes I'm not you know um also also because like it's one thing to be vulnerable in a friendship or a partnership or with a therapist or something um but in a position of authority or responsibility or like where people are looking to you to know how things are going or whatever um yeah, I have this principle called vibe hygiene. Like I want to be really cautious of what vibes I project into the room because if I've got a hosting role, people are going to be looking to me and I and I want to be careful about what kind of flavors what I'm reflecting back into the room because they tend to get picked up and amplified. So like mm-hmm. um I can basically second guess myself a lot before I would be do that vulnerable disclosure of like, hey, this is what's going on, this is how it feels, this is the consequence, like I need your support. Can you guys show up in a different way? I'd be I'd be worried about kind of hashing the vibe <laughs> if you know like it's funny that one might consider that but actually at least from our experience thus far it actually 
brings an element of like closeness, yeah. right? Because I think sometimes when one in like an authority role, there's a sense of like, I have to have all my shit together. I, you know, I need to really be in control. Everything needs to go to plan. Like if, if I mess up, if I stop, everything stops. It's all on my shoulders. The burden's on me. Like this kind of sense of like, almost like aloneness in it. And when one has like the freedom to really express actually like, you know, when I'm getting lost in these debates about X, Y, and Z, it really just feels frustrating because maybe I feel like you don't trust me. And actually I really have done X, Y, and Z and I need you to, to trust me. And when I feel that I'm not trusted, actually that makes me feel, oof, you know, and, and just admitting that people feel like, oh, wow, that there's a, there's like, there's a human behind this element of authority or leadership. It's not just a leader or it's actually just another person trying to do their best that mm. wants that's a that support does that make sense yeah totally totally does um the i think the best experiences i've had of this lately are because like i said i always work with co-hosts um it's not just tag teaming like who's gonna be the center of attention right now it's also being able to oscillate between i'm playing a host role and now i'm playing a guest role and to be mm-hmm. able to like take off the hosting hat and just participate as an equal with everyone else and experience what it's like to be on the other side of the dynamic. Because like, if there's any rebellion, that's a polarization happening. You know, it's like, there's a, there's a kind of like emergent phenomenon. That's not actually down to two people. It's like something in the field. And so to be able to switch to the other side of the polarity and, and see how it feels from that angle, like that's been really instructive for giving me empathy for like, why are people pushing back? Like, what is it, what is it like to sit on the other side of the room how does it feel there? Oh, it feels shitty. Like, of course, if I was in their shoes, I'd be doing the same, you know? So like, that's really helped. Um, but yeah, I can just see I've got more practice on the, on the disclosure side. And I think, I think it, I think part of it comes down to how much space there is in the program. Like, I really enjoy the sense of mastery of like, we've designed a group process that goes from A to B to C and it gets the results that we want. Like if you go with us, you're going to get results mm-hmm. and, and, and that we know how to like flow with the energy in the room and so on. But it, it, it's like, we're a, it's like we're a band who wants to play the whole album start to finish. Um, and sometimes what's needed is like, actually we just need to extend the solo like six times longer than we normally would. Cause everyone's singing along and like, just go with that. Cause that's where, that's really where the moment is. And that means like design, anticipating that there's going to be those moments and leaving plenty of space so that like actually today's workshop is not about conflict resolution. It's about the leaders having a bit of a breakdown and we're just going to talk about that. <laughs> you know, like that might be way more, way more, way more valuable, way more alive. And so I'm, yeah, I think I'm, I'm just seeing my own learning edge here as like basically improvisation, which I'm super comfortable musically, but somehow with this community building group process stuff, it feels like the stakes are so high that I'd prefer to anticipate everything rather than just, just improvise and trust that we got it. It's also about the, you know, like I improvise with people I trust, like with people that we've actually, we've actually been around the block a few times. So we know like, yeah, we don't have to have everything pre-programmed, right? Mm-hmm. I think you, you do quite a good job of that anyway. 
um, at least from what I like experienced during the micro solidarity retreat, I felt there was definitely elements of adaptation and like constant evolution and like feedback processes that were really well received and integrated in, in real time. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. I think this is me always having like a, a really high standard of like where I want to be, you know, like to the next and the next and the next. I would love, like, there's definitely, I definitely have this intention of like a kind of gathering that has much less structure and much more emergence. Um, but it's just, a, it's kind of a different beast, you know, it's like uh, what we've been doing so far is like, this is a training and you're going to come and you're going to get some knowledge and you're going to have some valuable experiences. And um, when, when people are paying a decent ticket price, like I sort of, we have this sense of obligation, whereas I want to play with more emergent, less, less object, object oriented, more like not so expensive, more like we're going to go and hang out for three days and we're going to see what happens. And there's like, we've got some little structural pieces, but it's mostly open and we're just going to deal with whatever social dynamics come up. And that's going to be, that's going to be the workshop in due time. Um, speaking of time, I'm looking at the clock and I want to wrap up soon. Um, I'm wondering, well, if there's anything on your mind first. Yeah, I mean, there was, I, I was curious to talk about like the edge between like accessibility and financial like sustainability as an organization or mm. a project or a community initiative and how to like your experience of balancing um, all those elements because there is like this mindset that for example, doing something environmental or in the context of community should be free and unpaid and but at the same time there's so much energy work like love time that is dedicated and invested to creating these contexts that people often you know might think or, or like not think but like in a sense don't realize maybe the extent to which yeah. they are you know weeped you know yeah. like you were talking about like this precision that you have this like anticipation is like planning that is so important that takes a lot of like time and expertise and learning and wisdom and um yeah how do, how have you balanced between that whilst also mm. trying to remain open and also like creating a sense of diversity in the context and spaces yeah great question um so much to say on that like as you were, as you're describing that i i it made me realize how you're right people don't appreciate the amount of labor and the emotional reality of it like especially when we're hosting deep transformative work where people are going through you know personal transformation like most of the gatherings that i've done the people in the hosting team you know like if we've got five people on the hosting team one or two of them on any night will be losing sleep because they're so caught up in the emotional process of it. You know, like it's a really big responsibility and, and, and such a, you become a lightning rod for all the stuff that's going through the group. So it's like, it's not, it's not like a walk in the park, you know, it's like a big heavy lift. Um, so it makes me wonder about how to more effectively communicate how much effort is required because when you're doing it, the better you do it, the less effort it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't i think i think that means you can't expect people to evaluate how much it's worth you know so like pay what you can or pay what you think it's worth i wouldn't trust that because um people haven't yeah. got the information to know how much it's worth yeah um 
This has been, this is like the, the thing about money is in the core of micro solidarity too. And it's just that we, we, we approach it more as like a one, two, like first it's belonging and inclusion and, and connection. And then it's money and work and getting things done. You know, that, 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 that comes second, but it is really important. We've done lots of experiments. Um, basically where we've got to now, um, with all of the kinds of trainings that we do with the hum as well is basically three tiers plus one. So um, we try and set a price that is like comparable to not at the same level, but comparable to what someone would be doing in a corporate environment where they're not like, they're not do good as they don't get that free pass. Like they're just there to run a business. Um, and that would be the midpoint. And then we'd have a, a lower ticket for people who, Basically, we would give them guidance. Like it's like if you earn less than the average person in your region, take the lower ticket by all means. And if you earn a bunch more, take the higher ticket. So there's often like we'll have a central point and then thirty percent up and thirty percent down or something like that. And then the plus one is like, and there's also a scholarship form, which is like, hey, if, if this is a way out of your reach, drop us a line and we'll try and make it work. And the idea of like we're trying to set the prices at a point where we're signaling to people, this is a valuable experience. Like you're going to spend a thousand euros for like a four day thing or a five day thing, because it's going to be worth that to you. Um, and if it was corporate, we could do five, five times that. But anyway, um, we want to signal to people, this is a valuable experience. And if we get it right, we get enough surplus that then we can afford to bring in a bunch of other people who couldn't afford to be there that we want to, like you mm. say about accessibility, like we're paying attention to like what kind of backgrounds are people coming from? What kind of work are they doing? So yeah, people that we've worked with recently are like, they're doing, they run a community theater program for recent migrants. It's like, awesome. Come, you know, like we want you to be experiencing this and money shouldn't be a barrier to that because the social impact is, it's so exciting that we want to support it. Um, so there's this kind of like creative synergy, but then where I'm, I'm not sure about this, but I sort of feel like sometimes it pays to just have a Robin Hood model where, um, you go off and you earn, corporate rates for corporates and then you take the surplus and then you kind of spend it on working with hippies who can't pay you. <laughs> um, but it's a balancing act because also like, and it was, I even saw it in your, um, in your community as a practice, you know, in the, in that framework of looking at the house, this thing about consistency and commitment and discipline. I see that as like, okay, when I say hippies, I mean, open-hearted people who, who are really committed to values and purpose. Right. Yeah. A lot of those people tend to lack some of the more like discipline that you get in the corporate environment. Uh, a lot of them are not making choices that leave them with any spare money. Uh, and I don't know if I want to be enabling that all the time. I don't want to, I don't know if I want to be encouraging people to be like kind of freeloaders that doesn't like, I also don't want to encourage this like rampant capitalism and alienation, but I also don't want to encourage people just being freeloaders and like taking advantage. So it's like, it's such a complex dynamic. And so, yeah, that payment model that I described is like one sort of steady state that we've found after running tons of experiments, but it doesn't feel, doesn't feel solved at all, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. And I, I, I definitely share the sentiment. Like we had that with our primal guardianship. Like there's this idea that, you know, volu like the volunteers who come into primal garden have to come for like free. But like when we, when we did that versus the model where people invest like a portion just to cover the basic costs, you know, yeah. as a, another thing people don't realize is that there's always a cost. 
you know, like even if you are not coming, like if you're not paying, there's still a cost. Your food still needs to be paid. Your accommodation still needs to be paid. That you know, that's an assumptive cost. Um, there, there's there's a big difference in terms of like commitment and reliability um, because of the investment that was that was made, right? But yeah. I guess you can't, you can't like blanket and generalize that to like absolutely everything. But I I totally hear you on that. I guess it's also can be cultural, right? Like Portugal people don't earn very very right. much. You know, the wages are like 500 euros a month and rent now because of all the expats that are moving in is like probably, you know, similar to that amount. Um, and so you have those, you have those challenges around like the ex- accessibility. And then there's the whole kind of element of how people interpret your project, because if it was, you know, if you were charging low prices before, and then you start to raise your prices, because you just want to make the project more financially sustainable, people use concepts like you're the, the selling out and trying to make all this money. And people don't realize how expensive events are because people, you know, we, we pay all our contributors. I'm very like proud to say that pay every single person that's involved in our events and yeah so so there there are all these different elements of cost but then it's like do you want to then only attract like you know a certain demographic that do have the means that you know have all these elements of privilege and then you create like this polarization between like what's local and international and so it's it's a it's a big when it comes to like finances at least on our end like we haven't figured it out yet we're in the means of figuring it out and I would love to maybe in another conversation with you off off this or whatever, maybe yeah. explore that a little bit further. Because for me, that's a, definitely an important topic that I would love to resolve in some way. Yeah. Um, I think in, uh, part of this is just about transparency. Like you say, people don't know how much it costs to do stuff. And so like if there's ways to make it transparent, that's I, I just kind of take that for granted a lot of the, um, a lot of the events we've done have been transparent finances. And so people can just see like, this is the math, you know? Um, yeah. it's, and so that, that kind of depersonalize it. But even then it's difficult because how do you do transparency while also looking after people's dignity? You know, like sometimes I prefer not for people to know that like there's these people that haven't paid a cent and these people have paid a lot. And, you know, like that sometimes I, I feel better to just think, no, that's, you know, as an event host, it's my decision to invite people as my guests that they're not paying, you know? So, so it's, yeah, it's just complicated, complicated. I think um, we've just started for the next gathering we're doing, we've just started um, using open collective, which mm-hmm. is a um, completely transparent way of collecting funds and then, and then spending them. So you can see when someone buys a ticket, it goes ding. And then the, the balance goes up. And then when you spend it, it goes ding and it goes down. And so like, I'm anticipating that that's going to be, I think that's going to help again with de- depersonalizing. It's like you can see here is the bank account. It's not like a private personal gain that we're going for here. It's not about our own personal accumulation. It's about sustainability. So yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about it some more. I think it's um, super complex and we just have to, we just have to learn by doing. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, you know, I said, I don't want to encourage freeloading, meaning people should, everyone needs to contribute something for it to work. I also don't want to encourage, you know, the other side there's people like you and me who can go to the other extreme and it's like, we're going to be so enabling and giving and not take care of our own financial needs. And it's like, well, that's my problem. You know, that's not my guest problem. I've got to, I've got to claim, you know, I've got to take responsibility and we've got to have a adult to adult negotiation about what are the needs here? How do they match? You know, we can't, can't expect people to, guess what your needs are and then and then 
and look out for you and make sure that your needs are covered. Like, come on, that's not realistic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really, I really, really hear that, you know, in terms of like paying, like what we did in the beginning is that we paid everyone. We didn't, you know, pay, pay ourselves because we wanted to ensure that everything worked and we had like this, this value that everyone, um, yeah, that we want all contributors to be paid because in any kind of festival and gathering, most of the time, it's like, it's so terrible. Like even like the biggest festivals in the world that have so much money, like boom festivals is just like an exchange for a ticket. Like when, you know, a musician is like, but anyway, that's another topic. But so that was something that was really important for, for us from the beginning. It's like, okay, even if it's a nominal fee yeah. that, you know, that each person um, is paid at least something, at least, you know, on, on the basics of like food and accommodation, et cetera. Um, and then to not pay ourselves felt almost like, wow, like what a, what a paradox in the sense that we take care of everybody else. But what about, what about our needs? You know, yeah. what about the time and energy that we invest? Okay, sure. First few years, three and a half. Okay. But like moving forward, it's, it's really important to kind of focus. And I agree with this kind of corporate, like Robin Hood approach. Like we just started to work with businesses. And I think that is the method forward because actually businesses can really reap a lot of reward from the things that we do and create to support their culture transformation, to support their collaboration, their connection pieces, their intimacy, their like, you know, their social awareness, their empathy. And if we can share with them and they do have the funds and resources to pay and then reinvest that into like community projects, I feel like that's probably the best approach, at least for now. Yeah, that's what we've been doing for the last few years and it kind of works, but it does mean I'm always a bit dual-minded you know like i'm not focused on just doing the community building i'm also having to deal with clients and and maybe that's just a good enough compromise for now but i would love to be in a state where i could just be completely focused on cultivating this open source community and not having to worry about where's the income you know it's sorted one of the experiments i think we'll try uh which might suit you guys is is you know like if you join a political party and you pay membership dues like yeah. a couple of bucks a month and or I want to, maybe it's even more than Jews, but it's like you're you're you become a committed member of this community and you pay fifty bucks a month or something, and it means that you get to come to the gathering for free, but also, and you know there might be some online events and things like that to keep you connected. Um, but it's creating sustainable revenue in the organization, like re- recurring dependable revenue. So then you can actually afford to hire people to take on that mental load of of holding this community twenty four seven. Um, rather than the peaks and troughs of events where it's like, oh yeah, we've got 30 grand in the door. Um, and then next month we've got rid of almost all of it. Like, mm-hmm. but still for the next nine or 10 months, I'm going to be thinking about it and like <laughs> preparing for the next one. And yeah, it's a pretty complicated way to, to make a living, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a, it's probably a, a bigger topic for another time, but I would love to like extrapolate this further and also just like share like quite candidly that I would love to like see and also in another conversation, <laughs> see if we could bridge, bridge the worlds of um, solidarity and, and, and primal gathering. Cause I do see there's like, there's so much like resonance and like, o- like overlap, but also not like in the sense, like there's complementary pieces um, that I feel could like be really beautiful if put together. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, I always like to end a conversation at that point, which is that, yes, we've got more things to talk about. So let's do that. Um, I feel like you've, you've shared a lot of awesome stuff. I think people are really going to appreciate, um, especially those frameworks. Like if you can uh, share some links and things and documentation, anything you've got um, that helps people. Yeah. Orient, you know, like around your community building as a practice and about the holistic management, any of that kind of 
material that you've really found valuable. I'm sure other people will lap it up. So thanks so much for sharing so generously. I really appreciate it. I'm sure there's a small dedicated audience that is also really appreciating you too. (laughs) Thank you, Richard. I really appreciated this conversation and as always really appreciate talking to you. And I also feel like there's so much to learn um, and to, to gather. So I'm really excited for future conversations and developments. And um, I heard you might be in Berlin. I might travel there too. So it might be nice to cross a lap there too. Yeah. Nice. Let's link that on the podcast then. Um, Berlin first two weeks of August we will have some kind of micro solidarity picnic at least, if not something else. So reach me on Twitter if you want to find out about that. All right. I'm saying goodbye.